Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Man, what a great little illustration that it never goes away, right? Always, if you're a married couple, you know what I'm talking about. We're so glad you are here. We've been in a series for several weeks. Now it's our fourth week in this great date, your mate experiment. I hope you've been going on the dates, enjoying them. We'll have a fourth one for you on your way out today. Use those. And uh, this morning, we're going to be talking about a topic that uh, maybe some of you have been waiting the whole series for. We're going to be talking about sex today. And so if you didn't already know that, yeah, you're really excited about church today. Glad you're you're here, and uh, attendance is really good. Now I know. Uh, No, but we're so glad you're here, but I want to talk to you for a few minutes about this topic because I believe the church is a place where we ought to be talking about. It's being talked about everywhere else, and many times the information that's given is not accurate or according to what God desires for our lives. So we're going to talk about that today. And I'm calling this message the sex experiment. We're going to talk about experimenting in some new things, hopefully pushing you into some new areas that you haven't maybe uh, thought about that could really radically change your life. And the first experiment I want to talk to you about today is one that's been going on for decades in this country, and it's the practice of before you get married, it is having sex together, it's living together, it's sort of practicing being married, and the the premise in the society is really this, that if we get together and we try it out, like you don't buy a car without driving it first, right? So that's kind of what we're doing. Well, you know, like we're getting together, we're trying it out, and in doing so, hopefully the the, the thought was, the desire was that it's going to lower the divorce rate because, hey, we've got to try it out. We kind of figured this thing out. But here's the thing that's interesting about it is that study after study has proven that actually living together, having sex before marriage, actually has risen the divorce rate for those who do that and has lowered the satisfaction rate of marital satisfaction rate for those who engage in that before they get married. Now, it's kind of shocking. This is not my opinion. Lots of research out there to show it, study after study showing this. So here's what I want to talk to you about today is why is that? I mean, we have to ask, when we do any kind of an experiment, we need to ask, what is this showing us about us? And I think what it's doing is it's pulling back the curtain on a a, a pattern of behavior that's repeated over and over, not just here in the Brazos Valley, all across Texas, our nation, and our world. And it goes something like this, that young people, this is how they get together. Boy meets girl, they date, they have sex, they start hanging out at each other's place, spending the night, leaving the toothbrush, leaving stuff, and then they decide, hey, we should just get a place together. Be a lot cheaper, let's get a place together. And then they get some Ikea furniture together, and they're kind of like pretending like they're married a little bit, you know, like sort of trying this on. And then one day they decide, this isn't really working out. They break up, they gather up their stuff, and they move on to the next relationship and kind of repeat the pattern. Now, I've had conversations with people, lots of people. This is a lot of your friends. This may be going on in your life right now. And, and ask them, hey, why don't you go ahead and commit to her? 
Why don't you go ahead and commit to him? And usually the response goes something like this, kind of laughter, like, hey, wait a minute. Man, I'm not married to her. I'm not married to her. Are you crazy? Like, what are you talking about? Like, as if to say, hey, we're not that committed. And at any point, either one of us can walk away. No big deal. No big deal at all. Now, at some point, those two people are going to get married probably with somebody. Maybe not with each other, but with somebody else. And and is it any wonder? Because every marriage is going to go through trouble. Every marriage is going to have their conflicts. Every marriage is going to have their bumps, right? And is it any wonder that after those bumps begin to happen, it is becoming easier and easier and easier for those kinds of folks that have that kind of background, that have had that kind of repetition and that kind of practice, relationally speaking, for them to easily divorce, pick up their stuff, and move on to the next relationship. And recently, I watched part of an interview with Dr. Gary Chapman. Um, and Dr. Gary Chapman has arguably written probably one of the greatest relationship books in the last 20 years, The Five Love Languages. And he was asked about this phenomenon in our country, where he was asked, why do you think that is? Why do you think that this rise in divorce rate because of people living together? And here's his response. He says, because you can't simulate marriage. What seems logical, living together first, it doesn't work. Because he says, either you're committed or you're not. You can't pretend like you're committed and not really be. Though you can't have those. Those are mutually exclusive. You either do it or you don't do it. You cannot simulate marriage. Yet we continue to try over and over, even though the black and white research says it's not working. It's not working. Now, let me just say... If that was how your marriage started or that's how your relationship began and that's where you are right now, I'm not trying to say it's fatalistic and you're destined for divorce and it's going to end and it's going to be... At any point, you can invite the Lord into the middle of that relationship and God can begin to bless it and help you to get on track and do it the way He designed you to do it at any point. But I am saying there is a statistical probability that when you do one, the other's going to happen. And so one of the things that I have continued to try to teach young people that are dating, that are engaged, those who are about to get married, even those who have just gotten married, to try to teach a principle over and over because I have seen it just absolutely lived out and illustrated before my eyes over and over. You've probably seen it too. And here it is. The self-control that you exercise before marriage is the self-control you will draw on after marriage to stay faithful. In other words, your self-control, ladies and gentlemen, is like a muscle. It's a discipline. It's something that if you're willing to resist and do the hard work to say, I'm going to wait to have sex until I get married... And that seems so antiquated and old-fashioned and who does that anymore, but it still works. And statistically speaking, the most sexually satisfied people in the country are people who've done this, who are an exclusive, one-to-one, trusting, long-term love relationship. And over and over. And so what my advice has always been is, listen, if you will do the hard work to try to to be self-disciplined now, put the safeguards in place now. It is crazy how much stronger you are later to remain faithful to your spouse. As a matter of fact, I'll flip this on its head and say, after 20 years of pastoral ministry, 
I do not know. I thought all through this week and and last night more about this just to see if there's one exception to this. I don't know one couple that I have known personally that has struggled with infidelity in their marriage that didn't also struggle with a lack of self-control before they got married. Now, I'm not saying that one necessitates the other. I'm just saying the probability is there. It's greater. But if you'll exercise before, it's amazing how it gives you strength after. It's amazing. Like a lot of God's principles, that there is a sense of sowing and reaping that happens. There are seasons later when you reap the harvest of the blessing. But to be patient. And another way of saying this is that God's order leads to God's blessing. God's order leads to God's blessing. That there's an order to the way God has designed these relationships. And it is amazing when it's done correctly how much greater the success rate, the satisfaction rate, the happiness, the sexual satisfaction goes through the roof. It's unbelievable how much greater it is. Now, um, one of the the great passages I want us to point to in just a second, but um, about sexual intimacy once you get married because it's, it's really a gift. I want you to see this today, that sex is a gift from God. It is a blessing from God when it is put within the confines of the marriage covenant. There's a beautiful passage in the Old Testament, Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18. If you would, let's read the highlighted words together. It, it says, let the wife of your, uh, pardon me, let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. Did you know that was in the Bible? Hello. Okay. (laughs) May you always be captivated by her love. This word also could be enthralled, intoxicated, mind-blowing, He's talking about sexual intimacy, an awesome sexual experience with his wife right here. He's like, it should be awesome. It should be great. It should be pleasurable. It should create unity. This was God's plan. This is what he wanted. He's not trying to take the fun away. He's trying to enhance it and make it the best it can be. But God's order gets God's blessing. So what I'd like to do for the next few minutes is talk about within the confines of married sex, within the confines of the marriage covenant, what, do we, what creates great sex? First of all, great sex is practical. It's practical. It's well thought out in terms of it's wise, it's knowledgeable, it ha- makes good sense. So let's take a look at a passage together from Proverbs chapter 24. It says, a house is built by wisdom and become strong through good sense. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with all sorts of precious riches and valuables. He's using this metaphor of the house to build the household of the marriage. And a part of every household of every marriage is the sexual part. And and I think it's so important for us to say, listen, for far too long, sex has pretty much only been talked about on the internet by your friends, books, movies, television shows where every guy's got the six-pack abs and every girl looks good in a bikini and nobody's got a bad hair day, nobody has morning breath, you know. Uh, everybody always looks great all the time and no one ever says, ouch, you're pulling my hair. Like, they don't have those kind of moments. 
But it's time to set the fantasy world aside and say we all live in the real world. Realist, let's talk realistically because for most of us, at the end of the day, you're tired from work and from kids and homework and housework and preparing meals. And nobody in those movies, when they're starting to set up the sex scene, look at each other and go, let's get the kids down and see how we feel. Like Nobody says that. But I bet probably some of your homes, that may have been said, that's just part of being in a real place. So let's talk about how that practicality lives out in a healthy and great sex life. So we're going to start first with the husbands in the room. Men, what does she really want? Okay, let's talk about that. I know some of you are going, I'm taking notes today, taking some notes. Yeah, anyway. What does she really want? Here's the first thing I want to talk to you about. She wants you to be committed to her with your eyes. She does not want you looking at lustfully other women. Well, first of all, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, that that's a sin against your wife and against God. It is a form of adultery to lust after a woman that's not your wife. And it disrespects her. It objectifies women to do that. And and one of the most common places in this country right now that, I mean, most men struggle with pornography on some level. And I'm going to talk about it for just a second because pornography is an interesting deception that has crept its way into our society because it promises up front more sex, better sex, unlimited sex, But the reality is, the research studies are showing over and over, it actually proves to lower and drop your libido, your sex drive. It lowers your sexual satisfaction. It is one of the leading causes for erectile dysfunction among men. It causes men ultimately to have no sex at all. Doesn't that sound crazy? What it does, and researchers are beginning to figure this out, that it creates a new neural pathway in your brain. The way that you are sexually aroused changes from an actual human to images on the internet. So it it gets to the point where you're only aroused by images on the internet, but your wife's physical human body doesn't do it for you anymore. So proven by the research, the fastest way to destroy, not just mess up, destroy your sex life is to keep looking at pornography. And I'm telling you today, it is one of the greatest deceptions of our enemy to say, oh, you want more, you want better, you want more, unlimited, man, just, I I got it for you. It's just a few clicks away. And it is a dark pathway to destruction of your marriage and you I've known men where it's not only destroyed their marriage, but their career, it will eat you alive. I'm just saying, if you need to get covenant eyes, the software to help guard you from these sites, get an accountability buddy, do whatever you have to do, stop it. What's beautiful is, the research also proves this, that if you'll stop looking at the pornographic images, you can reverse the effects. You can get back healthy again. And you'll get a healthy, proper appetite for your wife again, guys. But it takes some discipline, some self-control. See what I'm saying? It all ties together. What else does she want? She wants you to really communicate with her. She wants you to really listen to her, to value her opinion, to value her contribution. She wants you to be into her. 
right? Not just into her body, but into her. And one of the most erogenous zones for a woman is her mind. She needs to know you're on board, that you believe in, you love, you're, you're, you're into her. And, and this means more than just <clears throat> in a, you know, kind of psychological or, or, or mental way, but to physically be motivated to action to say, I want to alleviate some pressure off of you. That one of the greatest places to start foreplay might be in the kitchen saying, I'm taking the kitchen chores tonight. I'm taking care of the kids tonight. I am going to fix that thing around the house that's been driving you crazy for so long. I'm going to fix that because I know that will bless you and that will make your life better. I almost thought I heard an amen from one of the ladies. Anyway, but, <laughs> but what the ladies are looking for is for you to step up in these ways. And, and also... What they're looking for is a little of what I like to call NST, that is non-sexual touching. I know the guys are going to say, what? Okay, but non-sexual touching. To sit and say, hey, you pick out the movie and I'll just sit here with you without any expectation of this going further than this, okay? That I'm just going to hold you, snuggle with you, we're just going to be together. And to exercise again, guys, self-discipline to say, this is about her tonight. I'm just going to be here for her. I'm just going to be hanging out with her. And, and, and just make it about her. But here's the beautiful thing that happens many times. When a woman's love tank is full, she tends to respond with great generosity, okay? And so if you will do those things, and, and again, don't get pushy, be patient, do it on her time, but listen, give her what she's looking for. This is what she needs. Now, ladies, let's shift gears. What does he really want? I think I can speak for most of the guys in the room when I say a lot of sex, okay? But to be serious, to be serious, it is a, it is a medical fact that guys crave greater frequency. As a general rule, there are definitely exceptions, but as a general rule, guys crave greater frequency, sexually speaking, than women do. <clears throat> this means, lady, ladies, you're not married to a sicko. You're married to just a man, okay? And I know it, you may think, I don't know why. But anyway, uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and, but here's an important thing that you need to understand, ladies, those of you who are married, that when a man uh, is initiating sex with you, your husband is initiating sex, there is something deeper emotionally that he's asking. Will she accept me? Will she receive me? And when he gets the affirmative on that, when he gets the yes, I cannot overstate this, it ignites a fire in his soul. It is crazy. It makes him want to work harder, smarter. I mean, he's stronger. He's more confident. He's like a warrior. He can run through a wall. It's amazing. Guys, can I get an amen? All right. Yes, it's amazing what it can do. Now, let me just say this real quick, guys. Guys. I would encourage you, don't expect her to respond every time, okay? Every time that you ask. Be patient, be kind, be gracious. But ladies, it's important for you to understand that there is this emotional thing going on inside of them. And when they get repeatedly rejected over and over, the opposite emotion is evoked. Cowardice, timidity, I kind of want to give up. I don't want to really try. It, it's hard. It, it does something to the psyche. It's tough. It's important that we understand where each other is coming from. Now, 
where the ladies needed some non-sexual touching, here's what the guys need. Some MST, some more sexual touching. I don't think I need to explain that any more than that right there. Um, there's a great quote from Ray Romano, the stand-up comic. He had this show called Everybody Loves Raymond years ago. I remember one of the episodes where he says, every man is only interested in cuddling if he thinks it'll lead to lower cuddling. Okay, so <laughs> I think that's pretty true. <clears throat> and, uh, but ladies, just to keep that in mind, but guys, give her grace, give her patience and we're going to talk more about that in just a second. Here's another question that I think that is on a lot of people's minds. What are acceptable boundaries when it comes to sexual intimacy and in the bedroom? Okay, I would say whatever is acceptable to both husband and wife. Nothing that is dangerous or degrading, if either feel degraded or dangerous or illegal, right? So don't, I think that probably goes without saying, but nothing illegal. What, think about it. Talk about it. Consider the other person. If it doesn't feel like love, that's not love making. Okay, it, it should not make the other person hurt or feel uncomfortable. Talk about that. So important to talk about that. Another issue that I want to talk about here, and I don't want to get too legalistic about it, but I think it's important to say, is be careful introducing extra devices or toys into the bedroom. And let me tell you why I say that. It's because you don't want to get to a place where your spouse isn't enough. That it's your spouse plus whatever this other thing is. And, and, and that it's never good enough without the extra stuff. You just don't want... God has given you everything you need for fulfillment sexually in your spouse you just need to talk it through and work it out. And it's not going to look just like every movie that you've seen. As a matter of fact, maybe you should stop seeing those movies. But anyway, I want to encourage you to you. It's between the two of you in privacy and intimacy and exclusivity. And, and, and to talk that through. The other thing I want to say about this, what's acceptable boundaries, is never use sex as a commodity to be bartered with or traded with. Like, I'm going to trade you sex for a favor. Don't do that within your marriage. Or don't withhold, uh, if you'll do this for me, then I'll give you sex. Don't do that because that takes a blessing, what God intended to be a blessing to your marriage, and it turns it into a tool of manipulation. And that will wind up hurting the both of you. Don't use it that way. That was never God's intent. As a matter of fact, there's a beautiful picture that's been given to us by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament of the healthy, beautiful picture of marriage within, of sex within the marriage covenant. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 4 and 5. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, the wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Mutual submission, in other words. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourself over more completely to prayer. In other words, Paul's saying for a limited short period of time, if there is something specific that you both need to seek God on and you mutually agree, this isn't unilaterally like, oh, I think we need to be praying, so no, no more, you know, like for a while. Like, no, it's something we talk about. We come together. He's saying this is something that is, um, we both agree to refrain. And so I, I just want to encourage you, that is the exception. 
And he goes on to say this, be careful, again, talking about self-control. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of what? Self-control. There it is again. He's always talking about this. Self-control is incredibly important for great sex. You have to control and focus and be willing to be exclusive. That's when it's at its best, over and over. And, and, And so knowing that the longer you wait, the longer those episodes are, the more difficult the struggle and self-control can be. This is not Paul in any way excusing sin. He's just saying, be mindful of this, be careful of this, don't fall into this temptation. Here's the next question that comes up from time to time. How often is normal? Is it, should, it, should it be once a week, twice a week, three times, four, five? Oh my goodness. If it's more than that, you should probably write a book. You'll probably make millions of dollars. Anyway, how often is... Uh, medical studies show that a man's body craves a release about every three to five days. This is why, ladies, that every you know, few days, maybe sometimes more often than you are, he's getting a little frisky and he's getting a little handsy around the house, you know? And so, and you're looking at him going, what is wrong with you? And he's looking at you like, what's wrong with you? And round and round we go. And for a lot of couples, this is a huge source of tension within the marriage covenant. And so I want to encourage you to make this a topic of conversation, to sit down, obviously when you're private and you're alone, and to talk about this. It is so important to set realistic expectations. One of the biggest places of frustration in this area is that when one person is expecting every three to four days and someone else is thinking, now I'm thinking seven to ten, um, there is going to be some angry people in between there at some, some point. And, but if we can talk about what is a realistic middle ground that we can come to, Exercise self-control, be committed to one another, and work something out. I just want to encourage you to talk about it. It's so important that this is something. I know it can be awkward and a little weird if you've never talked about it before, but I want to encourage you to talk about it. So here's a big question that sometimes I get is, what can we do to improve our married sex? Like, how do we make this better? I'm going to give you three things that I think could make a huge difference. The first one is make time to communicate about all of it, okay? About the nitty-gritty mechanics of all of it. I'm not going to go any further. You, you can talk about that, what's working, what's not working. And, and that's important to talk about when. When's a good time? If it's going to be a busy week, we can say, hey, let's get up early. Hey, let's meet for a special lunch. You know, let's, let's wait till the kids are gone. Let's, you figure that out. You talk about, hey, let's have a date night. That's why we're giving you these date nights. Some of you are going, oh, that's why. Dang, I should have been doing them the whole time. Anyway, yes, <laughs> that's why we give them out. So yeah, absolutely. Help you to talk this through. It's so important to be open. Again, you're setting realistic expectations. It's important to talk about it. Here's the next one, to get a little creative, all right? So this may mean, guys, for you is to get a different approach, to vary your approach, and to not get in a rush and not to put pressure on her, but just have fun with it. Ladies, this may mean for you to have an approach, okay? This may mean to surprise him. Now, I'm not allowed to go any further. My wife said, do not stand up there and give women uh, how to, you know, advice on how to be creative in the bedroom. Okay, she's right. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Moving on. 
pray together, okay? We should pray about every area of our marriage. God wants to bless and be a part of every aspect of our marriage, including our sex life. Again, that may feel a little funny on the front end, but if this has been an area of struggle for you, my goodness, doesn't it make sense to invite God into the middle of that, to pray together and say, God, we're asking you to bless this, make it healthier, to make it less frustrating, and and just begin to start committing to pray about it together. It's so important. It was his idea anyway. He's not embarrassed by it. It's his blessing. It's his gift, his idea. He wants to bless it. And the, the great sex, great sex between a, a married couple is not just practical, but great sex is also spiritual. I want us to take a look at a passage that Jesus shares in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. And this is what Jesus had to say, because he points all the way back. He says, let's go all the way back to where my father first introduced this on planet earth, this whole idea of covenant marriage. He says, at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be, let's say it together, and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Jesus is showing us that it was God's intent from the beginning for man and woman not only to be committed to each other, but to become one flesh. And there is no physical act that exemplifies that better than sex. Becoming one flesh to come together, that it is beautiful, it is blessed of God, it should be pleasurable, create unity. Yes, it's a, it also pre- creates procreation. It creates children too. But God wants you to know that it should be a blessing. It should be more than just the function of having kids. It should be a good thing, a unifying thing. It should draw you together, an expression of love. And this is a beautiful thing. And I want to just invite you today that if this has been an area of struggle for you or if you're a single person and you have not exercised a lot of self-control in this area, Today could be the day to say, I'm getting back on track. I'm going to do God, things God's way to gain God's blessing. And we're going to do this God's way in our marriage. We're going to commit to God. We're going to start implementing these biblical principles, taking the wisdom, the knowledge, the good sense that God is revealing to us today and begin to use it for, and leverage it for the benefit to bless the marriage. So important to do that. Here's the commitment prayer I'm asking you to pray with me, application prayer. Simply saying, Jesus, I commit to honor you with the area of sex in my life by keeping it within the marriage covenant. I commit my life and marriage to you. If you're a single person today, all of this applies to you except for and marriage. You may not be married yet. That's okay. You can commit to say, God, I'm committing that sex goes within the marriage covenant. And I'm going to exercise the self-control because that's what God blesses and that's where it is the best and it's the most blessed. And statistically speaking, still to this day, those are the people who say this is the greatest and best and most satisfying, not only marriage, but sex life that there is. And and I just want to encourage you once again that if you've diverted off of this and you feel like, hey, I've blown it in this area, Will, God is waiting and ready and can and absolutely will forgive you and help you to get back on that right path. 
And you can begin today. And I just want to encourage you to take advantage of this moment of prayer together right now to get right before God in this important area of your life. Let's bow before the Lord together. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.